Hello, uh, and welcome to episode six of the Mythilosophy podcast. Um, on this week's episode, we have a very lovely guy on called Ed Moores. Um, we met in, in Vietnam uh, when Demelza, myself and Jackie um, went out to Vietnam for a little bit. Um, and Jackie ended up meeting Ed. And they and they now have a, a lovely house in Newcastle and have a lovely life together up there. Um, and yeah, they they came down to visit uh, Froome maybe a couple of months ago now. And so yeah, we just we just sat down and had a little had a little chat. Um, Ed's got a very interesting um, upbringing and perspective on that because he uh, I think for two or three years spent a bit of time um, living in various parts of Asia. So so yeah, we 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 talk about all that kind of involves and that envelops, um, you know, adjusting to different cultures, going from this one to um, to China, and just everything around that really. Um, and then we drift into talking about yeah different Asian countries and traveling and living in an Asian country. Um, and then we also drift into talking about um, about meat and ethics and. And I think fish as well. So, um, so yeah. And it just it just happens that on the on the kind of back of this, um, I've messaged a friend and we're actually going to go um, fishing. So I'm going to actually get an experience of yeah of of what it's like to go and to go and do that thing, you know, because I eat I eat quite a lot of it. I find it quite nourishing, and uh, yeah, I think I think you've got to practice what you preach. So yeah, um, hopefully that's going to happen soon. Um, and yeah, I think that's about it for part one. Um, the song at the start um, is by Blazo, and it's a song called Natural Green, and it was chosen by Ed, and it is a, it's a really beautiful song. So, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy that song, and also the chat that we have. Um, so, yeah, if you like the podcast, please recommend and rate and share and, and do all those things. Um, and, yeah, I'll let you get into it. So, thank you very much. Ed, thank you for joining. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank, thank you for having me. Thank you for, for coming me. on the podcast, man. Thank you for having me. It's, it's a uh, pleasure to be here. Yeah, I love, I love, I love the little like intro. Little like, it's <laughs> pleasure having me. Thanks for being here. It's all great. All lovely. Um, yeah. Where, where would you? Where, where did we meet? Where did we meet? Mm. Um, we met in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So I met Jack for the first time. Yeah. And she, we, we met um, the day following. Mm-hmm. Uh, we met at your apartment. Um, you and Dee were just hanging out in the early mornings, um, just seeing what was going on. Um, it was my sixth day in Vietnam, so I was new to the whole thing. Uh, hadn't even gotten a scooter yet. It was all completely new. Uh, and yeah, so then we, we met, and it was actually the day before you were due to come home. Yeah, right. It was quite uh, early, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, so you guys had been there for, I think it was a month or so. Yeah. Um, and I just arrived. 
So I met you guys just before we about to go home, and we went for lunch, went for the vegan buffet, yeah, uh, off Dang Tang Mai, um, and went and had a nice lunch together, uh, literally the day before you went home. So it's a very transient time for you guys, about to head back to yeah. the UK when I'd just arrived, so it was all fresh for me and kind of yeah expired for you. But no. Yeah, v- Vietnam didn't really capture our imagination, it didn't really like, or, well, Vietnam, Hanoi didn't, Hanoi wasn't... Uh, yeah, I, I I must say that for Vietnam and a lot of Southeast see Southeast Asian countries, like the cities aren't where you want to be if you really want to explore Southeast Asia. Uh, if you really want to see like the beauty of these countries, like you need to get yourself into the countryside and don't stay in the the big cities because ultimately, wherever you are in the world, a, a big city is a is a big city. It's a concrete jungle. It's the mad pace of life, and it doesn't show the beauty of that culture and that yeah, country. And it in, just in the best doesn't light. give a true reflection of of the beauty of Vietnam because I've I travelled Vietnam before mm-hmm. and saw those like more secluded kind of cities, and they were much much more beautiful than this like massively smoggy kind of flipping megalopolis that that Hanoi is you know or that we could perceive it to be you know? well it's the same as everywhere like look at look at Ireland as a great example right so two-thirds of the people that live in Ireland live in Dublin mm-hmm. and Dublin is don't get me wrong a lovely city but it's very much a city it's a concrete jungle it's the the mad pace of life like you find in London but you step half an hour out and you're in the beautiful rolling hills and yeah, right. it's exactly the same for any any major country that where massive population flock to these big cities it's going to have the same sort of feel the same sort of vibe um so yeah so i think when you go out of that you really get to see the beauty of the country for what it is mm. how long how long were you in hanoi uh after that so i was in hanoi for i think it was about eight and a half months in total um yeah so we're in hanoi um living work and teaching for about eight and a half months um, and then we decided to go off and do a little bit of travel before we came home so not were you teaching english i was yeah i was mm. teaching english um <laughs> probably the hardest job i've ever done really yeah like it, it was like so it took me about two months to step into the step into the classroom hmm. um jack actually kind of dragged me into teaching in the orphanage she was volunteering at um because I, I you know what i felt kind of guilty because i did a, a online tefl which doesn't really give you all the skills that you need to go in and actually like help a classroom out in the right way that it deserves and they're paying you quite a lot of money to actually go out and sort of $25 an hour in some instances to go and teach these kids English and I didn't feel like an imposter at times so going into an orphanage where it was completely voluntary was a great way to get started because I got over that fear barrier of actually like dealing with kids and, and teaching them English but didn't feel the responsibility because it was all voluntary I didn't feel like I owed them not owed them something but I wasn't being paid to do something that I'm not qualified to do as such. Mm, okay. So that so that experience in the orphanage kind of eased you into sort of working with kids and and being around them and knowing how knowing how to mm, knowing how to be, be around them is that Yeah, maybe? I mean, I'd had some experience previously working with kids. Um I worked on holiday parks for about 3, 4, 5 years. Um and naturally when you're working in kids clubs and stuff, well, supervising them, you kind of understand how kids work and all that. But when you're dealing with ones that barely speak English (laughs) it's a different story altogether Mm. but going to the orphanage is a really good way to ease me in because there was no expectations it was more about just spending time with the kids um, and exposing them to the English language Um, so that was that was really good and then after that I kind of looked for cover work and got a bit more confident with it Um, got a few tools a few games a few things in my back pocket that I could that could bring into the classroom and kind of use on a fairly regular basis to make sure that the kids got what they needed did you so did it get easier as time went on and or did it get easier and, and also would you would you recommend somebody doing it if they were if they're a bit stuck and not knowing what to do is that is it something that you would recommend for people to do or did you or did it was it too harrowing or what do you think so 
I definitely think it got easier. Mm. I think that comes with confidence, which I think anything gets easier with confidence. The more you do it. So for me, confidence is a combination of belief and practice. If you have, if you believe that you can do it and you practice it, ultimately you get more confident as a result of that. Um, and I think doing it more, you get more confident with it naturally. Um, but I do think it's a good thing to do. And I do think standing up in front of a classroom of kids that don't speak a word of English is something that everyone should try if they are in a bit of a pickle and looking for looking for a way to just try something completely different. Because it's daunting, isn't it? It's really daunting. So like I've done loads of public speaking and I've done loads of jobs where you're up in front of a crowd and that's. That's one thing when you're conversing in your native tongue, but when you're speaking to people that struggle to understand it at the best of times, it's it's another thing entirely. And it's also kind of exposing when you're at the front, trying to impart your knowledge amongst kids that are eager to learn for the most part. You, you kind of have to bear, you bear it all and kind of show what you can. And so I would say it's definitely worth a try. I wouldn't say it's for everyone. No, definitely not. <laughs> it's definitely not, but mm. I do think there's definitely some... You can learn a lot from it, uh, even about yourself. So a lot of people who go travel in Southeast Asia or all these places, they'll be doing their job back in their native country. So it might be an office job, might be um, working hospitality, might be doing something along those lines. Um, but then going out to do something that's completely out of your comfort zone, completely different to what you even could ever do back in your home country, it really gives you a good insight to what people go through in, in both in the teachers in the home country go through. But also what I teach you about yourself and that this is what you're actually able to do and how it makes you feel and how it makes you react and how you plan for it. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Because that, cause, cause that wasn't your first experience in Asia, was it? Because you you grew up there for a while, didn't you? Yeah, so um, when I was nine years old, uh, my dad got the opportunity to move myself and my mum uh, over to Shanghai. So I remember I was sitting in the bath at uh, eight years old. Mum comes in. It's in says, Newcastle, yeah. Yeah, yeah up okay. in Newcastle, yeah. Well, just outside of Northumberland. Um, just normal kid, grew up in the countryside, and then eight years old, I'm sitting in the bathtub, mum goes, so how do you feel about moving to China? And I'm like, why not? <laughs> <laughs> little old me, little eight-year-old me says, yeah, why not? That's um, quite, yeah, that's, 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 that's j- j- just initially, that's quite a brave thing to do, because for, for most kids, that'd be like, oh, Jesus Christ, like, what about friends, what about being uprooted, like, that's, like, crazy. Yeah, but, yeah, I'm proud of little me, <laughs> for well saying yeah, why not. Right. Um, and then two weeks later, we were bags packed on a plane. Wow. Um, yeah, really quick turnaround. Um, so we, after we found out where we were going, a week later we flew to Jakarta. Um, was it? Was it just on that initial journey? Was it? Was it all excitement, or was it? Uh, was it a bit of nervousness? Do you remember at all? Or? Yeah, it was complete excitement. Really, like, I was ready to go. Like oh, wow. as soon as I found out where we were going, I was like, right. I remember when we were actually leaving. Um, so it was we were getting on our flight to actually move out there, and I remember we were at the uh, at the gate, and all our family and friends are around us, like all really upset because we're leaving, traveling like thousands of miles away and uh, me and my, mom, my dad had already flown out because he had to be out there for business and mum and I were flying out and we turned around from the gate saying goodbye to all friends and family and I just turned to mum and said can I be excited now <laughs> 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 because I was so keen to go and everyone was so sad to see us leave and I was like no this is my adventure let's go let's do this let's enjoy it um, and yeah so it was just excitement and uh, it was nothing like I imagined obviously a little eight-year-old's head when you're thinking of Chinese you're thinking of dragons and, and red um, like red uh, all, the, all the Chinese symbols and just like all the flower festivals and stuff like that but then as we talk about concrete jungles, moving to Shanghai is uh, that in its entirety. So, because you went, you went, you went from sort of like country, country living to 
Oh, yeah. So my hometown of Morpeth has a population of about 10,000 people. Mm. And that includes not just the town itself, but like surrounding villages. And then we moved to Shanghai that at the time had a registered population of 24 million. Whoa. Yeah. So That's about some jump, eh? half the population of the UK in one city. So <laughs> it's a big place. It's a big place. Huh. Um, so went out there for a visit to go see what schools we're going to go to, where we're going to live. Um, and then we took the jump over and, and just moved out there. What was your what was your initial experience when you landed in Shanghai? What was your initial like? Was it was it was it like Jesus Christ or was it like ooh ooh? ooh. So when we got there, we got shown around by one of Dad's colleagues, um, who was like native but native to, to Shanghai, but knew but perfect English language. Worked for Suez, the company he was working for, um, and showed us around, um, showed us all these weird and wonderful places. But it was for me, it was more intrigue than anything else. Um, I've never been a shy kid. I've always asked the why, and I've never been one to sort of shy away from and like want to understand more. So going into this place that just seemed so not alien because you, at eight you don't really know a whole lot anyway, um, but going to a place that just seems so different to what you're used to, to a, a place where there's more sheep than people, mm. uh, to a place where you can't go ten foot without seeing a crowd of people. Um, so it was more just wanting to, to learn more about it, see more about it, and just kind of get get involved. I feel like. I feel like uh, I feel like people, kids especially, to, to to have something like that that completely transforms what you know as a reality in a society uh, that completely just like takes all that you know and goes actually now nah, there's something else so so you know there's like a ten thousand population thing there's country living and then also there's a big humongous you know city living to give to give a child that experience that like difference of like you know, showing that there are different ways and different ways people do things and different culture as well. I think I think must have been an amazing uh yeah, experience for for young Ed. And, oh, and yeah. it, was, it was fantastic. So mm. um in so we moved to like an expat community. Um so it's like gated fences, uh gated walls, like security guards and all doors. Dave one um, security or <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. All right, Dave. No. <laughs> No, no, no. Um, but uh, so we, uh, so we lived in this gay community, and um, literally there was people from all over the world. So my best friend when I first got there, his name was Peter from Belgium. Um, then I had a friend from Texas. I had a friend from Australia, friend from New Zealand, friends wow. from Korea and Malaysia and Nigeria, Jesus. and literally, like, I knew two other English people. Cultural uh, overload. That's amazing. Literally. So you're going into this place where, and the same for my school. It was it was an American school, so Shanghai American School, and you had to have a non-Chinese passport in order to attend, um, just as part of the international school regulations they had there. And um, it's just people from all over the world. And you had these days where it was like culture days where people would bring in like traditional dress from where they lived to bring in traditional food. Um, And you'd get to just like have bits of all these different cultures that have all kind of conglomerated in this one, this one place and being exposed, not just to the Chinese culture, because you're immersed in it, you're living in it, you're learning the language, you're tasting the food, you're doing all that. But learning from your peers what their cultures are like and what they've brought with them to share with other people and understand what it's like. I mean, just an, just an example. We're doing we're bringing in food um, for like a buffet for everyone to try like everyone's native culture. And uh, I brought in Yorkshire puddings, as you do. <laughs> like, like, do you know, what, what else should you bring? I'm not bringing in fish and chips. Like bring in Yorkshire puddings for, uh, for, um, for everyone to try. And uh, when we're going through the menu, they'd put it in dessert. Cause hilarious <laughs> yeah because you know it's yorkshire pudding hilarious um, so yeah so it just goes to show how like what we take for granted in terms of yeah. like culture and what we just assume everybody knows when you take it into like an international setting yeah it's just it's just another story altogether do you know do you know did, 
Dean and I were in Australia um, working on on this like cattle farm, and uh, we, we did. We actually, funny enough, we did the same thing. We did like like Dean and I had this like takeover of like the kids for the evening. And we were like, what what can we cook? They might like. And we were like, oh, Yorkshire puddings. That's a good idea. And so, and we were like, you know, the kids might like these. You know, so we we're like, guys, fancy trying some Yorkshire puddings? And they were like, um, what is in like is in like York and like like for for pudding? And we were like, no, no, no. So so it's not a pudding, but it's like a it's a it goes with your main, and it's like a it's like a basically like a pancake. And they were like, right, so it's not a pudding. And we were like, no, no, it's just called a Yorkshire pudding. And we're like, okay, we'll give it a go. And then and then they like came back the next day, um, telling their mum and dad they were like, Mum, Dad, Dean Ryan cooked us these amazing um uh uh Yorkin- oh, how the hell did you say it again? Yorkshire? <laughs> York- yeah, Yorkshire puddings. <laughs> There's things we take as every day, mm. um, but yeah, it's funny when you take it into the uh, the global standpoint. Yeah. So, how long were you in Shanghai for? So, I was in Shanghai for a total of three years. So, from eight to eleven. Okay. Eight to right. it was nine to twelve. Right. Um, we moved over there just before I turned nine, um, and then we moved to Hong Kong shortly after. Um, wow, okay. So, we moved to three years in Hong Kong. Sorry, three years in Shanghai, then two years in Hong Kong, mm. um, and which is a completely different place altogether. So, Shanghai is. From what you would imagine, it's and what and what sorry. what years were these as well? Does that interest? So it was two thousand and two when we moved okay. to Shanghai. Yeah. Then two thousand and five, we moved to Hong Kong. Okay. Cool. Then moved back to the UK in two thousand seven. Right. Um. So Shanghai was more as you'd think like rural China, but obviously in a massive city. But you go into like the markets, and it's like right, there's like dogs strung up. There's people cooking um, all sorts of food on the side. There's people chopping up frogs. There's like literally the the immersion of Chinese culture brought from all over. Um, you'd go into a little restaurant, sit on a tiny little plastic stool and get fed some food that you'd try to read off the menu, but just when you try to pronounce it, people just look at you kind of funny. Um, and then you go to Hong Kong, which is all the way, I can, only way I can describe it is a very warm Britain. Okay, um, interesting. Because Cause it, cause it has its old, it was an old British colony. Yeah, so in 1987, we went over there with all of our warships and said, we're going to have this for a hundred years. Um, and that's exactly what we did. And then we gave right. it back in 1997. Right. Um, so it's got so much Western influence. Um, it's got the most millionaires per capita in the world, does Hong Kong. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. It's a really affluent place. But, huh. well, parts of it are really affluent, but then other parts are really not so. So there's very much two sides to Hong Kong, um, depending on where you are and who you are. Mm. Um, so that was interesting in itself. I'm obviously spending, being an expat, you spend more time on one half of it than you do the other. Mm. Um, it'd be interesting actually if you to, for you to chat to our friend Jess because she's from Hong Kong. Um, oh really? Yeah, yeah, she's got family over there. Oh yeah, yeah. it'd be really interesting. Um, wonder whereabouts. <laughs> but mm. but yeah, so that'd be really really cool to do. Um, but yeah, so Hong Kong was um, a, a lot of a different, more experience. It was um, in in China. So where we lived in Shanghai, um, we lived as I say in like a gated wall community and. There was like t- tennis courts and swimming pools and jacuzzis and lived in the kind of complex where you could go to the bar and say your room number and it would get charged to the room rather wow. than having to like pay cash or anything. So it was literally like the lap of luxury. Um, and that was like all provided for by the company. School was paid for by the company. Health insurance, everything was provided for us. Then when you go to Hong Kong, um, you get a similar package. But what you can get for your money there compared to Shanghai was like not like I'd say that maybe 10%. Um, like you couldn't live the same sort of lifestyle, which is absolutely fine, but 
it just goes to show that you can travel like an hour and a half on a plane and still technically be in China, but the difference in terms of what like the purchasing power parity people have is is insane. Mm. Um, so it was really interesting to see the contrast between the two places. I personally much preferred Shanghai as a, as a place to live, as a place to grow up. So going through the markets and and bartering in in Mandarin and talking to the local people and you were really really welcomed as a Westerner. Like really, really welcomed. Like you go over there, you walk into anywhere, and everyone talks to you like the best friend. And oh wow! Because for a lot of China, because eighty six percent of their GDP is made up of exports, right? So they export everything to the West. Like um, America, us, the EU are massive consumers of everything they make. Generally, electronics. Um, and so all these really big businesses have gone to China, made factories, built, made thousands and thousands of jobs for all these Chinese people. So when they see you come over here, like because you're obviously helping their business out to export all their goods over to us, it means that it's kind of you're kind of feeding the prosperity a little bit. Interesting. Um, so they're really welcoming, really friendly. They'd want you to like they'd give you the last like the shirt off the back if they could. Mm. Um, and when you go over there, you learn the language and you try and engage with them. They're really, they're really, really receptive of it, and they really, really like it. So that was really, really nice. Yeah. How um, hard is Mandarin to learn? Or, uh, do, do, do you know Mandarin now? Wash what idiom get putonwa, which okay. means I speak a little bit Mandarin. Okay. I would say I'm really, really rusty. I haven't used it in like since GCSE. Right. Um, and I would say I know enough to get myself into trouble, but not enough to get myself out. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so um, Mandarin is a tough language to learn. Really? Um, so yeah, so there's four tones um, and each word. So the, the thing about Mandarin, speaking it's one thing, but writing it's another. Um, so in England, they say that the average six-year-old can read the front of a newspaper because mm. the word's fairly simple. You can kind of spell out a word as you read it. Um, but in Mandarin, the average 11-year-old can't. Right. Because you, there's no way of being able to spell out a word as you look at the character. You have to just know what that character is you have to have previously learned that to be able to read it um which makes it really challenging what i do love about mandarin though one of my favorite things is it's all very pictorial so for example um when you draw the word for fire which is ho it's two sticks with two little dashes coming off so it kind of looks ah, like a fire right. okay um you've got the moon and sun the the sun is a box and the moon is a box with a line through it Ah, there we go. Um, the word for trouble is two women under one roof. Like, <laughs> really? Yeah, genuinely. So it all kind of tells a story as to why the yes. the, the character is the is the character, yes. um, which is really really interesting. And it all comes back from from thousands of years ago. So it's all it's all kind of um, really interesting to see. How did so then? How did how did coming back to Newcastle? How, how did you how did you find that adaption? I really struggled. Really, really struggled. So. Um, Obviously, when I was in, in, in Asia, it was all private schools. Uh, the education was second to none. Um, I was learning about, like, about ions and atoms when I was 11. Um, so I was like learning really advanced stuff. And I came back to just like, it was a really good school that I came back to in Northumberland. But I really, really struggled because I was in such, I was, it was such a different way of life out there. And obviously, I missed all my friends and, and all that. Um, so yeah, I kind of struggled coming back and assimilating um, because I'd lived such a different life. And Everything just seemed so so normal, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Um, I was used to the whole transient thing of like leaving people behind because when you, people go off, when you say, for example, living in Shanghai, my best friend Peter that I first moved out there and saw, he moved within six weeks of me getting there. Right. Um, didn't really have any friends for a couple of months and then I found other friends. So I'm used to the transient nature of it and sort of saying goodbye to people and saying have a nice life and knowing it's probably the last time you're going to speak to them oh, since wow. the days before social media um really yep. had taken hold so 
saying goodbye to someone and knowing it's maybe the last time you're actually going to see them when you're a kid is is, is quite humbling. Mm. Um, so I was kind of okay with saying goodbye to all my friends in Hong Kong because I've I've been through all that a couple of times. Right. Um, came back to move back into the same house in in Newcastle that I well in Morpeth that, I, that we left um, on the same street with all the same friends. No one had left. Everyone was still there. Ah. Um, so I kind of reconnected with a lot of my friends who I was friends with um, okay. up to the age of nine, which was great. But everyone had changed so much. And obviously when you're only in your own head, you in your head you haven't changed, right? You just grow up and you are you and you always will be. And then you come back and when you haven't seen people for five years and between the ages of nine and 14 are really formative. You kind of become yourself in, the, in that period of time. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, so coming back to seeing people and how they developed and how they changed when you hadn't been in touch with these people apart from the time you popped home like every couple of years to, to see them for an afternoon or whatever mm. um it was kind of kind of i didn't i didn't reconnect with all the same people i kind of made a new group of friends when i came back um but yeah that first year when i came back was really tough mm. it was really tough okay and then and then going on from there you went so you obviously went through school and then and then you did a bit of like the holiday park was it was there was, was there something uh, between you and the holiday parks and Hanoi or so what I did was I obviously went to school I went to uni um, did a couple of different things at uni and then finished my degree and while I was working oh you studied computers I did computer science oh. at Newcastle for a year mm. um, realized I didn't want to code for the rest of my life um, mm. didn't want to sit behind a screen I enjoyed people too much um, oh interesting okay. so I went and did a communications degree at Northumbria um, mm. after my first year um, did really well at that, got 2-1, and, and then basically while I was working there, I worked at Park Dean Holidays, mm. which was around the corner, down the road, just worked in the contact centre selling holidays, 16 hours a week. Uh, really enjoyed the ethos of the business, really liked what they did, love holiday parks, it's all really good fun. Um, and so then I applied for their graduate scheme um, mm. after I graduated, got under that. Um, and then when I was doing holiday parks, I moved around the country every three months. Mm. So I was what they called a firefighter manager. So, for example, when I was I was in the northeast, and they said, right, okay, we've got a maintenance team that have an issue down in Dorset. Can you move down to to Dorset to Pool and spend three months sorting out their processes, understand what's going wrong, and try and streamline it? You go, yeah, not a problem. Move down there, live in a caravan, uh, spend three months. So, so, so you've always kind of moved about and dotted about, and and yeah, yeah. So basically, from the age of nine, I lived in Shanghai, then Hong Kong, came back, lived with my parents until I went to uni. Moved into Newcastle. Obviously, at uni, you change house every year. Mm. Then I went to the holiday parks, moved around every three, four months. And then I left the holiday parks and went to Vietnam. And, and yeah, and then obviously now we're here we are today, a couple of years later. But yeah, right. So yeah, I've always been kind of transient, never really settled down some solid roots anywhere until fairly recently. Well, yeah, um, you've, you've bought a house, haven't you, and stuff? And, yeah, 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 yeah. Bought, yeah. Bought a house up in Newcastle, uh, which is great. Like, absolutely love being a homeowner. I feel very adult. A <laughs> 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 scary thought. I think you've got this uh, massive debt over your head. But you know what? It's really nice to actually settle down and have a bit of roots and somewhere to call home that isn't just going to up and leave or isn't going to up and go. Mm. Um, so but, but back to the holiday parks it was um, kind of last minute when I found out I was going to move so I, I, there's one lady that I used to work with in HR and if my phone would ring and I saw her name coming from the screen I know that I'd be moving within the next 24 hours oh really? yeah so I remember oh, that must have been unsettling yeah really tough so yeah. like you'd really start to so three months isn't very long so first month you're literally just finding your feet understanding where you are so just in the grand scheme of things so in 18 months I moved from the northeast down to Dorset, Dorset over to Portsmouth, Portsmouth up to Yorkshire, Yorkshire up to Scotland, Scotland down to Essex, 
Essex over to Wales, Wales to the northeast in 18 months. Jesus. Um, so, yeah. You've moved... seen a lot of the country, then, haven't you? Yeah, all the coast. It's beautiful. Lovely place to be. Like, <laughs> Oh, that there's there's an amazing uh, thing you said, that, that amazing uh, stat, oh, fact. Yeah, so I've never lived further than five miles from a beach apart from when I was in Hanoi. That is just like... <laughs> unbloody real. Yeah, really nice. Really nice place to be. I mean, the beach in Shanghai wasn't great. Wouldn't recommend it. But <laughs> Just to be in the um, sea, though, and, and, and just see, seeing the horizon, getting all the fresh air. I mean... Yeah, and you know what? I never really realized how much I missed it until I was in Hanoi. Oh, interesting. Um, you don't, you kind of take it for granted. So, like, there would be, there'd be years where I didn't go to the beach for, like, 18 months, two years, because it's like, oh, it's just the beach, just there. Um, but then when you're away from it, you're like, you know what? I really miss it. I really yeah. miss just the, hearing the crashing of the waves and the, the salty air and the, the getting blown in the face by the wind. And, yeah, so it's... Uh, I, I love the fact that I've always been a bit of a water baby and, and really yeah. close to it all. And fresh fish as well. And Oh, all that fresh fish, man. You can't go, can't go wrong. It's good for everything, isn't it? Brains, taste, mm-hmm. a lot. We've been, we've, I've, I've just recently gone into this ketogenic diet. Oh yeah, um, which is, which is quite, which is, yeah. I mean, I mean, again, I'm, I'm only in it for five days, but the fact I've, because I, I came back from being veggie, um, and then now I'm eating meat again and and fish and stuff. But just, just having that bit of fish is that, uh, you know, I've had, I've had so, so far, I've had lamb, I've had steak, I've had um, fish chicken and the the one where i just feel nourished i just feel completely nutly like that did me some real good was eating fish do you know i must um, say like for eating fish um the i've always said for the, for the keto diet diet and other diets when it comes to fish like the oils that you get from that like it automatically just makes you feel like lubricated like a like a well-oiled machine um <laughs> having that oil just flow through your body you just kind of feel like right this is how it's meant to be this is how yeah. it's meant to i agree meant to function yeah, it feels it feels very very natural. Just 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 having that down my gullet. And, and uh... did you ever miss it when you were a veggie? Oh yeah, all the time. Yeah, really. Yeah, f- yeah fish was the only thing that I I severely missed. Yeah, absolutely. So what um, was it that kept you away from it? Uh, from fish. Yeah. So I think I think initially it was it, it was the way that fish were were kept. You know, so like or or, or the way they were caught and the byproducts of like catching this this fish. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, then I was talking, I, I, I spoke to this, um, autistic, uh, 15 year old who used to go to the school that I worked in and he essentially said that like fishes, fishes were basically like swimming computers. Like they, they weren't swimming around all day worrying about if I'm going to get eaten or this or that or that. They were just, they were just swimming about. And then if, if danger was upon them, they'd be like, oh, danger, cool. And then three seconds later, the danger would go and they forget about it and just swim along. So he was, he was almost like. Yeah, semi convinced that 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 he wasn't in terms of like harm reduction and what like an animal can do and what and what they are and what they're all like so cows and organs and things he he was a bit not sure about that but yeah so 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 that that sort of way of thinking kind of got me back to like okay maybe it isn't so bad and 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 just honestly how it actually makes me feel when I eat fish I just feel nourished like all the way through um, but yeah there 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 were some issues around how fish were caught and and, and the whole fishing industry because that is a yeah, a, a, a dire state of the world. Like, for, so, so for example, um, I think there's only 15 species left of seahorses in the world because of the big, massive, like trawler fishing um, that goes on um, in the oceans, uh, wow. which is really sad. And yeah. you know, turtles and all these like amazing, mar- all, all this amazing marine life get like caught up in these big trawler nets. So, um, yeah, trying to 
Try, trying to be kind of conscious and just and just like you know it, maybe think a bit more about where it came from and you know where it was grown up and or where it was reared if you like so it's a really interesting um thing about fish that a friend of mine does so a friend of mine uh, used to work in a fishing tackle shop and he always he always said the only meat i'd ever eat would be stuff that i like caught or stuff that i, I hunted or things like that now what he did was he used to go on two fishing trips a year he'd go one sort of the start of the year one sort of the end of the year and he had a massive chest freezer in his garage ah uh, freezer so, yeah. He'd freeze it, so he'd go out and he'd catch an absolute trawl of fish. He'd caught, uh, catch absolutely loads, um, stick it in the ice box right next to him, um, and then he'd freeze it. And he'd anytime he felt like he wanted fish, like you catch a six pound rainbow trout, that's going to feed you like for eight times throughout the day, or eight times throughout however how often you you fill it. Yeah. Um, and it just kept kind of kept him going. The fact he did it twice a year, he knew that it got caught from this this lake, this reservoir, and it grew up there, and it was it had a, a comfortable life. And as you say, back to the the fish computers piece. Uh, it's always a very stereotype that fish only have memory of like six seconds or something along those lines. Um, so he knows that, yeah, the fish might have panicked for six seconds, but ultimately it's it, it's gone to nourish him and feed him over a period of time. And he's done it all himself. Um, so for, for fish, for example, like I know that with animals, um, if you if they're really stressed before you butcher them, it affects the taste of the meat or the cause on going through that. The same thing doesn't happen for fish. Oh, really? Yeah, so fish, fish flesh doesn't have the same reaction when they get stressed because... As you say, they're only stressed for a few seconds, mm. um, and it doesn't impact them in the same way. So I don't know whether that kind of would be sort of like a solace to take in that it's not actually going to impact them in their mental state or anything like that. If if fish can be considered to have a mental state, ah, yeah, fish philo- ph- fish philosophy, fish philosophy, <laughs> philosophy, <laughs> fish philosophy. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. I, I still, I still, there are there are still kind of parts of me that. Like I was, I was on a walk the other day, just like mulling over in my head about this whole ketogenic thing because it, because it is very meat based, mm. um, which I'm come to terms with. Um, and yeah, I was, I was kind of thinking about the whole like cow thing because you know they, they, in terms of sentient beings and in terms of their makeup and their like, you know, organs and things like they are close-ish to, you know, us and they do feel. You can see they feel fear. You can see that that contemplates them. So I'm still. Kind of comes to terms with that, but I'd have, you know, I've got we've we've got a local butcher down the road who um, I spoke to. Um, yeah, I wanted to get the meat, and he's kind of reassured me that you know that like it's, it's all good, you know, locally sourced meat, and that you know they give them massages and you know <laughs> nice little like thing to read as they're. No, I'm joking. Um, uh, On that note, yeah. you ever tried Kobe beef? Kobe is a Japanese beef, isn't it? Yeah, the ones that are massaged and are oh. looked after. So it's 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 extortionately expensive, right? Um, but these 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 cows are just pampered their entire life. They're massaged. They're taken on lovely walks, like throughout the the Japanese countryside. Really? And yeah. So they literally, if you if you do a bit of research in, into these these cows, they literally live the life of Larry, and then they they play very classical music when they're slaughtered, and like literally they put give it as much really? ease as they can. They let it live for as long as it can, so it gets all the nourishment, all this like delicious food. Um, they eat better than we do, uh, and so yeah. So if you, if you did want to try sort. Of see what the the beef is like if it has been nurtured in right. sort of such a way there is there is that option out there um might have to get a mortgage for it but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i mean but i mean that would that would highly affect the quality of the meat wouldn't it if this if this like cow is is having a lovely life and it's really looked after and then the cl- classical music is yeah. going yeah so um, i on the bait over and come on so i remember when i was um, when i was working on the holiday parks i looked i looked after one of the restaurants and i won this incentive to go to a uh, I mean, you can, <laughs> so it doesn't sound like a rule. We went to an abattoir, 
uh, where we got to see where all the meat came from that we were actually serving oh, in our good. holiday parks. And good. It was through one of the big companies in the UK that serves a massive number of all the chains. Um, and we got to go to the abattoir and see how it's all done. And do you know what? Like, I genuinely thought, because the, the meat we get is fairly cheap, or got, got was fairly cheap, and it was a massive conglomerate and all that sort of stuff, I thought it was going to be pretty horrendous conditions, and I really wasn't looking forward to it. Um, my granddad's a butcher, so I kind of gotten used to all that anyway. Um, but I wasn't looking forward to it. But actually seeing the process that they take the animals through is... So there's only one animal in the room at a time when they go through the slaughterhouse and um, they had loads of screens and blinds so they couldn't see what was going to happen and they put like nice music on for the cows when they were going through. So it, it did try and reduce the stress the animals feeling beforehand but we never saw the conditions of what the cows were being kept in before they got to that point, yeah. which is the bit that concerns me more than anything. Mm. Um, so but going through to the actual point of, of exit, you could say, um, was like actually fairly nicely done, but it's what happens before that is really where sort of the, the terror might lie, so to speak. Yeah, indeed, indeed. I think, I think, it's, I think, I think it's something that I think... Um, yeah, we, we're just. I think. I think the way that society's gone. I think. I think we're just very removed from where our food comes from, and and you know the 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 life it's led to get to your plate and your belly. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So. So really interesting on that. Actually, I watched a documentary on the ketogenic diet because um, I started that a few months ago, um, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it when I was on it. Um, but I remember watching a documentary where there was a, a family that. We're going on the ketogenic diet for health reasons and it had massive benefits but the the takeaway i got from it was because it's quite expensive to get all like this natural organic free-range meat um, on a regular basis for a family of four um it can be can cost quite a lot they decided to buy a cow get it butchered and yeah. freeze it and use it that way but the bit that stuck with me was they bought this cow on this farm and before it got butchered they went to go and visit this cow so mm. they went they saw it they spent the afternoon with it they named it um, about a week before it was due to go to the slaughterhouse. Now, they had two young kids. I think they were like eight and four. And it's a really interesting way of educating the kids of this is where the animal, the meat actually comes from. It's not that's just, great. you don't just buy it in a packet at a supermarket as meat and that's what it is. This is where it comes from, um, which I think is really interesting. Having a having a, have, having a relationship to your food, I think, is, is, is vital. That's Absolutely key. Question, have you ever killed anything and cooked it? No, actually, no. You haven't? No, no. Mm. And and I uh, believe me, like like so so coming back onto this onto this like diet, it's it's one of the things that I intend to do very very soon because because I I, I don't um, so again part part of the reason why I went veg in the first place was because I didn't feel that I could actually properly go and kill something and 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 do that and so I I didn't feel I had the moral duty or moral right to be eating meat uh, if I couldn't do it so. Um, the, the fact I've now started back on meat again, I I, I I fully intend to, you know, even if it is just a fish, because I feel, I feel semi-comfortable with that, mm -hmm. I'd be quite intrigued to do that. Yeah, know? I definitely think fish is a good way to start. Because yeah, yeah. it is... A lot of the animals that we do eat, generally speaking, like, you, we do form a kind of connection with, like, beforehand. So, but fish what tends to be a little bit more removed because we don't see them in everyday life because we don't tend to go swimming underwater every day where we see these fish but you can go across a farm and see a pig you can mm. go you can walk past a field and see a cow you can see sheep when you're driving down 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 a road you kind of form an everyday connection with it whereas with fish because they're not as visible to us you probably don't have the same connection to it yeah right so it's and obviously the six seconds thing that we talked about of memory it's probably easier to feel like you can you can do that and like i've i've, I've had experiences of i've caught loads of fish filleted gutted cooked on a barbecue there and then um done with rabbits a couple of times but 
I do know what you're saying with uh, sort of other animals, how it... <laughs> do I feel like I would be able to, to slaughter a pig and, 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 and eat it? I, I don't know. I don't, I, I've never been put in that situation, nor would I want to put myself in that situation. Do I feel like I shouldn't eat the pig because of it? Probably not. I, I feel like I'm quite happy to do so because... Uh, well, I don't know why. Just, just, just because I feel like it's. I think the fact my granddad was a butcher kind of helps because he's kind of ingrained that meat is you have meat, 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 meat. Mm. Um, lovely man, and and he loves pigs. Like literally, honestly, if you saw his house, he's got ornaments of pigs absolutely everywhere, <laughs> and he's a butcher. It's kind of it's kind of a little bit odd, but um, but he loves him. He adores him. He's he's like adopted pigs on farms and stuff, and like oh, yeah. he, it's really really nice. And even though he's a butcher, which kind of shows that he likes both sides of it rather than just the the meat element of it. The sun's on my side today. I got a lease of life, I feel okay. Need to call around, get them all out, jump in the car and get on the way. Cause there's love and the strength in numbers. They can try, but they're never gonna run us down. Down. Speakers loud, it's like we're on a come up. Fifth gear, but they're never gonna race us down. Down. But they're never gonna race us down. 